Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, Some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws, well, they both look pretty badass and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge when you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees look at assaultlimited.com also sponsoring today's podcast is urban savage urbnsvg.com the best quality apparel available american made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3EQUIP.com. A3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion, a lip balm, a hair conditioner, honestly, anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3equip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about get squared away spiritual get squared away emotional get squared away mental Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. What up, guys? We're back with a super exciting episode of Squared Away. We've got Dr. Don John Deloney here. Um, John, thanks for coming. I am just super grateful to have you here for this podcast, dude. When, dude thank when, you, uh, I reached, I'm happy to be here, man. When I reached out and you were like, yeah, definitely love your message, I was like, this is going to be an awesome one. Uh, well, I appreciate John. Why don't you start, world, brother? So, thank you. Right. Why don't we start out with just your introduction? What's What's your background? Tell our guests who you are. Um, man, my background. Uh, grew up, born and raised in Houston, Texas. My dad was a SWAT hostage negotiator and a homicide detective for a big chunk of my life, and so I had a ringside seat to what it looks like when things get sideways. He got that little uh that little sideways cop grin and went into the problem instead of running out of the problem. So that's just what I grew up with. And as most of us, you see your dad and you think that's just what you're supposed to do. That's what all people do. And then my mom wasn't allowed to go to college. Um, That was kind of the family ecosystem she grew up in. And so she went to her first community college class at the age of 42 and um, took one class and then another class. And then a few years later, uh, at age 57, she ended up graduating with her PhD, and now she's a professor into her 70s. And so I grew up with two big meta lessons. One, if there's a problem, if things get ugly, you get your butt in there. You go towards the problem and help be part of the solution. And number two, it is there is no such thing as age. Or there is no such thing as excuses when it comes to you start over again, and you can start over again, and you can start over again. And so I fast forward. I spent the last two decades working as a dean of students, as a guy running housing, whatever, at universities. And I was a high school teacher for a few years. I was an elementary school teacher for one year. That was my, uh, that was my tour of service. I've never been in the military, but that's as close as I've got is teaching uh, first and second, third grade. But I, uh, um, man, I worked in universities and behind closed doors, I just sat with people when their wheels were falling off their life, when they, 
when they cheated on that big exam and got caught, when they found out that, you know, their their son or daughter had passed away, died by suicide, or they were in a psych ward or whatever was going on. And I did that for years and years. And then I started working with police officers after hours doing uh, crisis victim services stuff. So um, as you guys know, when a police officer shows up to a scene with a, you know, with a 1087, with someone who had passed away, um, they have to work that scene homicide backwards. And that can be really challenging for a mother who's just lost her two-year-old, right? So I would come in and help with the death notification and help make sure mom had resources or dad had resources or whoever was there. And that was a pretty transformative period. And so then I came out to Nashville to work at a, my dream college. And then I ran into, I was given a speech in front of probably about a thousand parents and their students. And it just so happened that Dave Ramsey's executive VP was in the audience. And she said, uh, I'm going to hire that guy. And here I am. <laughs> that's, this is my, that's how I ended up on the radio, man. That's awesome, dude. Um, in the book, when you talk about, about Dave the story. Ramsey. Oh, yeah. In the book, when you talk about the story about your dad um, taking his new debit card to the grocery store and getting the the essentials for the kids and just hoping that that debit card was going to let him overdraft. And as a father, I know like that like it just gives me goosebumps thinking about that story because him having to turn around and then that that manager of that grocery store covering it for him. It, it just, dude, tingles on that one. Yeah. When Ramsey wrote the foreword and he's like, yeah. you're going to cry in this book. So in, I'm like, in, what, I'm, what am I going to cry about? <laughs> yeah. that I mean, that's one of those moments. That's the other side, right? So I, it's a hard lesson to wrap your head around if you don't live with somebody who's a public servant, but who also can't make, you know, we didn't live. We had one car, right? We had a relatively small house. Um, and it's 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 uh when you're a kid you can't wrap your head around it and I think all of us go through an anger phase when in our twenties, uh, looking at hey man my dad gave us a lot every day he was going to work and he used to hug my mom and you know the the understanding between the two of them was this could be the day right and yet we don't make enough money to just get meat and bread for the kids and it's not like we had big TVs and we didn't have we didn't have anything um and uh, but we didn't have enough money to do that and so there's that there's that you know that dichotomy between Hey, doing some good holy work here on behalf of the community, and we can't pay our bills, man. And um, that that manager that that's a story that's rippled through our family. We just didn't have a lot growing up, and that's why being being good with my money has always been a, an important thing for me. I think there's something to say for what that does for kids, though. Not necessarily living in poverty, but understanding that you can live a good life and you don't need to have everything that you've ever been told to want, not necessarily wanted, but told to want, right? Because so much of what our kids think they need is all marketing. Yeah. I mean, so much of my childhood was, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have all the latest and greatest stuff. And, but man, dad took me fishing a lot and dad always sat up there and watched my, my little league games and dad took me hunting or whatever we were doing, right? And so there's a lot of free things that we can look down upon, but they end up being the most connective, um, formative, and for to be a nerd, the most mentally healthy things we can be doing, right? Getting out in nature, moving your body, having human connection one-on-one, doing hard, hard stuff when it's in Houston in the summer when it's a thousand degrees. Um, all that stuff now we've learned 30 years later that there's a lot of physiological benefits and and cardiovascular benefits, all the, all the good stuff. But it turned out, man, it was just a dad trying to connect with a son. And that's stuff I'm trying to pass on to my kids. Yeah, it builds character, right? Um, one thing yeah, you know, we I always mean, talk about. Any, any th- oh, anytime you do hard stuff and build connection, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. We, uh, we talk a lot about where we are at now for first responders and police and stuff like that. I, you know, I think the money's a little bit better, but it's definitely not amazing. But the overall community support for a lot of those jobs is not where it used to be. And I think that that is going to be a big struggle that all of those people have over the next 20 or 30 years to try to fill those positions because it's not, you're not getting rich and you're not necessarily loved by your community anymore. And in fact, you're not getting not that you're not getting rich, but you're not able to feed your family, right? And there's a balance there. I think anybody who goes into public service understands, you know, I'm not going to drive a Bentley, but everybody wants to be able to drive a used Camry, right? And when you can't do that, that's when it becomes hard. Yeah, and then, man, then when your neighbors are spitting on you or um, the 
you know, you, you've got systemic issues that y'all have to deal with internally. And it's, it's hard, man. It's a big old, it's a big mess right now. And I think you're right. I think it's going to be really challenging. If I'm a young, if I'm 19 or 20 and I'm thinking about what I want to do with my life, man, there used to be a lot of kids my age that wanted to be police officers when they grew up. And I don't hear that very often. Now kids want to go be YouTubers and, you know, be web developers. And man, I know it was cool to, man, I, I don't want to live in a community that doesn't have police officers. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think the hardest thing is, um, you know, the kids today, they, they, they don't go through a lot of hardship. Right. And when they get into the service, whether it's, you know, police or military, what they're finding out is um, when they're hit with trauma or, you know, they see their first, you know, body, it's just, um, you know, they, they're reeling from it. They have a hard time recovering mentally. Um I mean, is that some stuff that are you dealing with that? Or have you seen your father go through that? Well, I, there's a couple of things. One is um, I remember, so I've been a, like, uh, to call me a fan would be underselling it. I, I'm fanboy. Remember when we were kids how, uh, I won't get into that. I'm obsessed with mixed martial arts, and I have been for 20 or 30 years. Back when it was in pride fighting back in Japan and um, way back in the day. And I remember when... I remember when the UFC got bought way back in the day and then the big explosion. And then <laughs> I remember being at, at a, at an MMA gym. It was, it was really a converted kickboxing gym back then. Um, but I remember the influx of kids who came in and would stay about four days. Cause they were like, Oh, they're kicking you in the face. And it's like, yeah, bro, this is a fight. Or that guy just bent my arm sideways and tried to shove it up the backs. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, this is a, it's a fight. And so, yeah, it looked cool on TV, but it got hard. And what we have now, which is is just the first in human history, right? And so we're all of us are at a big guinea pig right now, is we've got kids that have young, and I say kids, I'm an old man now, so I'm kids like 25 and younger, have seen a million deaths on TV, but they've never been in the room with a dead body, whether it's a grandparent because their parents didn't want them to have to go to a funeral and be sad for a minute. Um, and parents are trying to help, right? They're, they're not being ugly. They're trying to help their kid, but actually they're harming their kid. They've never been in the room where somebody gets shot. They've never had to clean, you know, brains off of a wall like I have. There's a disconnect. And it's very similar with they've seen 100,000 sex acts on their little computers. And they've never blown an entire movie just trying to grab somebody's hand, sit next to them in a movie theater, Right. And there used to be a natural progression um, that, you know, between wisdom and death and wisdom and intimacy, which led to this, which led to that. There used to be a, an art to that. And now it's 11-year-old, hey, check this super hardcore pornography at your locker on my cell phone. Or, hey, let's hey, let's go over to my house, 10-year-old, and we're going to watch all three John Wicks. And so I've seen all this death and murder, but I've never felt death and murder. So, yeah, um, with the crisis team, it was always... There was always a moment when somebody was in the room with their first dead body that you say, like, is this or is this for you? Right. And um, it took my I had a great, great supervisor that would always make sure people were OK after they were experiencing the first rounds of some of that stuff just to make sure they were processing it. But, yeah, we've got a culture that is has these they're over. Um, what is it? They're over informed and under experienced is the way I would say that they've seen too much, but they've experienced too little. And almost overconfident yeah, in how they're going to handle training, it, man. And then it's game on. Oh yeah, overconfidence is the best, man. Yeah. If if I was there, dude, I would just you wouldn't do any of that, none of that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Somebody, yeah. Or somebody hey, that's never it been also hit works the, face. the other way. Who? Yeah. Who in the world? You know who? No one on the planet would have thought Zelensky would respond like he's been responding this past week, right? So it can work the other way, too. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I was in a room with someone who um, died, and my instinct was to lean in a little bit. And that kind of freaked me out, and I called my dad, and he goes, yep, it looks like you're one of us. And I remember, like, oh, that's a, that's a club? I don't want to be in that club. Uh, but, yeah, there's, oh, there's an instinct where you lean in and you want to help, or there's an instinct where you say, I got to get out of here, right? And um, it's, yeah. there's no shame either way, but yeah, you find out the hard way, man. You think you know what you're going to do, but you don't. Yep. And which is why exactly. training, training is so important, right? You train and you train and you train and you train so that you're prepared for what happens, right? Yeah, it's a muscle memory. 
Yeah. So you're in MMA, huh? Well, I, I've seen a lot of references. So what do you? Oh, you know, dude, I'm in, like the old I'm school. I'm out of shape, old man. Now, now I jog. That's what I do now. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say so you're old. I think I'm the oldest one here. I probably double you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just got that Asian glow. There you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Oh. That was one thing you said with uh, nobody being in the room with a dead body. That was I've never even thought about that connection until I read in the book about the front room in the house originally being called the parlor Mm. and that parlor being where you would kind of honor the body of your deceased loved ones. And it would sit in there for days at a time so everybody could kind of come through and honor and remember and and um, Sorry, Martin, but Martin's mom just passed. And in the Chinese culture, uh, there's an I'm awesome sorry, tradition. There's an awesome tradition where they, they basically have like a, an incense shrine in the house and they burn incense multiple times a day. And, and, and it makes you come back by and think about that person versus like getting everything out of the house. And I'm scared to think about it. It's a celebration. And we, we miss a lot of that in our culture. Yeah. And man, my condolences, brother Martin, that's, um, I hate oh, to hear thanks. that, man. Um, yeah, I, I think we have, it, we got so excited about um, what our science could do and our technology could do. And man, I'll be the first to say I love air conditioning and I love leather seats in a car. That's all great. Um, but what happened in our pursuit of being comfortable is that we began to pathologize, just a nerd word for, we made feeling any sort of discomfort something to solve as a negative thing. And we ended up stealing from ourselves, right? So we now live 72 degrees, 72 degrees, 72 degree lives. We go from our air conditioned house to air conditioned cars to air conditioned offices and back. And our bodies aren't designed for that. It's designed to have flows fluctuations, right? And the same, man, once the, once the funeral arts came online and they said, Hey, dealing with bodies is hard and it's heartbreaking and it can be gross and not, We'll take that from you. Man, we were so quick to outsource that. And what we now, you know, somebody passes away. If it's an immediate family member, what? You get three days off from work and then you go back to work. And uh, if it's your grandparent, you, you can take vacation if you got any or a sick time maybe. But um, we've just completely drained our culture of grief and of mourning and of these really important psychological processes that now they've come to show, they've come to prove those things stay in our bodies. Our bodies keep pumping adrenaline and cortisol to solve some of those problems year after year after year after year, and it eats us from the inside out if we don't deal with some of this grief and loss that we experience. And man, we've just brushed it by and get back to work because work is all we know and work is what we've been trained to do, and we have no prob- processes or systems for grief and mourning. So yeah, man, I, I, I think we are, we are all paying a price for avoiding death as though it's something that we don't have to deal with. It's part of our lives, whether we want it to or not, man. It's, we, we do a lot better psychologically when we absorb it and we re I mean, when's the last time somebody killed their food, right? It, that's in a, like we get disconnected. We just think meat grows in packages at the grocery store. And again, I'm all for meat in the grocery stores, man, but our bodies know there's a gap between our realities right now and we're paying the price for it. And there's something different oh, about exactly. about that. There's something different yeah, about that um, venison steak or that or that uh, pheasant that you shot and cooked. There's something different about that. It just just hits different. Can I can I t- tell you, man? It 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 the first time. And this dude, this sounds so like we're in a cave right now, beating our chest and you know like swinging clubs around. I know how Neanderthal this sounds, but I was ashamed at. Like the first time I shot a deer and we fed it to our family at how good that felt. I didn't understand it. And I actually called a buddy of mine. He's a sage. He's a rancher and he's a children's author. I called him and said, hey, I need to process this because I actually had this pride that I had never felt before. And in a nutshell, he said, what you're feeling is congruence. You're feeling the entire circle of the process where there was an animal that you honored that gave its life so your family could have life. And you took a knee and I've got a ritual that I have with my son when we hunt just to honor this thing um, that it gave up everything so that my family could have something. And then there's a process. And he said, you are completing as something that we as in our modern society have broken, a a wheel of life that we've broken. And it sounded all woo woo and like, okay, man. Um, 
And uh, next we're going to pray to the unicorns and the rainbows. But hey, he ended up being right. Um, there's something whole about it, right? So it's not about like, look what I killed. It's more about I'm a part of a circle, right? I'm a part of a process here that, uh, man, I, I, it sure sounded all woo-woo, but it, it, it rang true to me. And there's, there's totally something different and something to say for that animal living a complete, full, free life up until the moment that you took its life versus the hamburger that you're getting at McDonald's that did not live that type of a life. But we're the ones, because we do that, we're the ones that are kind of crapped upon because we take the life of free animals versus like the kind of sheltered, like don't look at the animals in the, in the pans, you know, that's right. Yeah. I love the 72 degree life thing that you said, man. Well, I mean, that's why cold tubs are such a big deal now and saunas think back a thousand years ago, how absurd that would be. They would say, just wait till your Wisconsin winter. You'll get plenty of cold, my friends. Right. Um, but our bodies are designed for that. It's designed to be hot. It's designed to be cold and to have tiny moments of comfort, right? That's why spring, if you look at the ancient poets, man, spring was like a breath of fresh air after nearly freezing to death. It's a gift, right? And we've just made it all day, every day, 24-7, 365. And, um, so now we have to inject un- discomfort into our lives almost artificially to make sure our bodies are well, right? Well, and you can take that idea and you can extrapolate that idea out into everything in your life with the search for comfort. It's not just the temperature, but it's the ease of everything and the searching for comfort in everything. It is, well, what's the big diet phase right now? Intermittent fasting. You know why? Because intermittent fasting was normal through evolution. Like you didn't just have food whenever you wanted it. You didn't go to the ice box and pull out your, your food. You intermittently fasted in between finding food and working your body, right? Like we'll sit on the couch and watch Netflix and then we'll go to the gym for an hour and then we'll come home and sit on the couch and watch Netflix versus like, man, you just, just move your body all day. Just move, just do things. And that's the 72 degree life and everything. I think it's a broader, that's right. And it's a, it's, there's a broader thing happening. I remember, um, I forgot the name of the movie. I always forget it. La La Land. Remember that movie with Ryan Gosling? Him and I looked almost identical. Um, and uh, I forgot the actors. Two beautiful people. And it's an incredible, like, it's a great movie. The ending ends exactly how it's supposed to. And they're in jazz clubs dancing the whole movie and playing the piano. It's just beautiful. And I left the movie. And there's all these great dance scenes. And they're horrible singers, but they do it so well. And they're actually great singers. And it's just a beautiful movie. But... I remember walking into the parking lot after the movie and I was holding my wife's hand. We just been on a date and I thought to myself, I just paid two beautiful Hollywood actors to spend the night in a jazz club when me and my wife could have gone dancing tonight. And yet I outsourced dancing cause it's uncomfortable and I suck at it. I outsourced loud music <laughs> cause it's going to hurt my precious little ears. And where are we going to park? I just outsourced all that to Hollywood, and then me and my wife sat there, and I drank an 11-gallon Diet Coke and ate my body weight in milk duds, and I thought, I'm never doing this again, man. Next time, I'm going to take my wife dancing, and I'm awful at dancing, and I'm going to fumble through it and embarrass the family name, but that is what connection is. Not outs- We just outsource everything, man, and it's it's some of that we have to, right? Some of that our schedules are bananas, and some of that is, man, I, I, I don't have time for that. That's fine. But man, we've got to get back to living our lives, and uh, we've got to get back to getting our hands dirty again. And that's why my—I mean, as successful as we've been, like my wife and I still have a monster garden, and I still do the best I can to mow my own yard. Just little things to keep my hands on things, um, just so I can get out there and sweat and get hot and get a little bit burned up and a little bit dirty. I think that I think that is life that we've outsourced completely. Mowing the yard right before people come it's over. On this right? podcast, I mean, we're we're squared away. Oh, yeah, all day. That's right. <laughs> I clean the house. So we talk about squared away. I mean, what do you what do you do? I mean, to keep yourself. I mean, you're helping other people, but what do you do every day to help yourself uh, or to keep yourself squared away mentally? You know, we touched on physically and emotionally and spiritually. Um, what do you do? I think for me, I'm I'm a scatterbrain guy. 
Um, I'm all over the place. Um, you can look at my diagnostic sheet and it's hilarious. Um, but for, for me, process is really important. Um, a line that I, that goes through my head often is don't forget to remember. And the reason that line is important to me is I can get carried away and stay up till 2 a.m. watching TV. I can get carried away with a bowl of ice cream that turns into four of them. I can have one gummy bear that turns into three packages, right? And so for me, I know, and I've even done some genetic testing, and I've got a really short roller coaster. Once that roller coaster gets pushed downhill, man, it's it's off to the races. What I spent my whole life doing was beating myself up. I lived in a lot of shame. Like, you suck. You've got no character. You've got no willpower or discipline. For me, the discipline is not when the bag of gummy candies has been opened. For me, that the ship has sailed. For me, discipline is I'm not going to have that in my house, right? I'm going to have a process that um, after 9 o'clock, all the screens go off. Now, I, the last few days, I've been terrible because I'm keeping pretty close watch on what's going on overseas. But um, I'm highly intentional when I get home to play with my kids. And um, and they, my son even challenged me. I, I we're, we're, uh, He didn't have any of the latest devices or any cool things, so... I had to buy an old school ice, ho- I mean, a uh, air hockey table and a foosball table. And dude, oh, I saw that post. <laughs> the trash talking that happens in my house between me and my six year old daughter is incredible, right? But he, just last night we were playing and I heard her. She's like, What was your BMW, dad? This is my six year old asking me what was the best part of my day and what was the worst part of my day. And then I asked her, how, You know, I learned some things about her school day that I never would have learned otherwise, right? And we're having fun and laughing. So that's good for me. My wife and I have some very intentional skin-to-skin contact time, 30-second hugs that I have to have that help re-regulate my system. And um, pretty intentional about working out, pretty intentional about staying off the screens when I can, pretty intentional about uh, meditation and prayer practice. I'm a spiritual guy, too. I'm a Christian guy, too. So that's a big deal in my life. Um, And we got, even when I'm exhausted, man, you got to have time for friends. That's the thing I think that most first responders lose is they end up hanging out only with other cops and then they only hang out with other police officers and all you talk about is police officer things. And when you do that, your world really shrinks on you really fast and you lose perspective a little bit. I don't know if I talk about this in the book, but um, I, was, I think I was 10 or 11 and we had gone to Little League practice in this suburb that I, I lived in growing up. And it was a great place to grow up. Very, I mean, when I say little crime, that's even, that's an overstatement. Almost nothing, right? And we went, I left the back door to the baseball, to my back, I mean, I left the back door to my house open. And we went to baseball practice for an hour, hour and a half. We came home and we drove up and my dad looked at me and he had a different look on his face because he saw the back door standing wide open. And he said, I knew it. And he reaches in, pulls his gun out and goes and clears the house. And I remember being 10 going, that's a little bit much, man. <laughs> like, like, whoa, right? But here's the thing. As a homicide detective, all you do all day, every day is deal in moments that never happen, except you, what in your life. And so pretty quickly, if you're not careful, that your slice of life becomes everything, right? And so everybody can maybe kill you. Everybody can maybe... and so. It is important to be on guard and it is important to keep eye your head on a swivel, all that stuff. But it's also important to have friends that are like plumbers and friends that like work at the bank, right? So you get different conversations and different things going on in your heart and mind. And it it expands your world and expands your conversations. Otherwise, your world can get pretty dark pretty fast, right? So having friends is really, really important as well. That's hilarious pulls the gun out and clears it. But yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like that's all he sees. Um, the, your first right. book, I, when you, when you approve, when you decided to come on here, I jumped on and I downloaded your first book and I'm an audiobook guy generally. So I had that baby done, you know, that day. And I think I sent it to three people because <laughs> the way that you, the way that you oh, wow. take anxiety and bring the definition back to reality and your whole fire alarm example, mm-hmm. like, that is that is astonishingly yeah. simple, but so powerful for people. Can you kind of just just break that up for for our listeners, quick? Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you passing that that along to folks. Um, so I hear a lot about anxiety and depression, anxiety and depression as things we need to solve for. 
So going back to the 72, 72, 72, death is not something we need to solve for. Death is something that we need to make peace with and to create ceremony and ritual and human connection around, right? It's a part of us. And so if I look at anxiety as something I've got to run away from, then I end up in a distracted, exhausted, over-medicated world. What really anxiety is, is our body telling us. It's an alarm system for our body, right? So think about your house is on fire and you're in your kitchen and the smoke alarm goes off. That's anxiety. It's not the problem. And we've created an entire world where the goal is to turn that alarm system off. Man, that's the last thing you want to do. It's helping you out. It's letting you know that things aren't okay. What you want to do is ask yourself, what's that alarm trying to tell me? Where's the fire coming from? What, what's burning down in this house? And so, it, I mean, this is an oversimplification for sure, but most of the time, your anxiety alarms go off in one of three situations. When you are disconnected, so think back to a thousand years ago, if you woke up on the plains of Nebraska and your tribe had left you, you were probably going to die. You were all alone. So we are wired to be connected to other people. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger. It's all bullcrap. That's a myth. You got to have other people. And so if your relationships are messed up, and it could be you're lonely in your one-bedroom apartment, or I've been married for 20 years, and I've had seasons where I am profoundly lonely in the same bed of a woman who I know who loves me, right? So loneliness can be a state of mind, too. If you're disconnected, those alarms are going to go off. Um, And you know a cheap substitute for human connection? Alcohol, pornography, busyness. Those are things that give you some of the chemical hits that help band-aid over the fact that you don't have any relationships. Another reason that alarm will go off is if you're not safe, if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're in a toxic work environment. Um, This is a police officer, man. Every day you go to work, you put on that bulletproof vest for a reason, right? Um, Your body's telling you, hey, we're not okay. We're not safe. And the third one is control. That's autonomy. I, I don't have any say of what's coming my way, or I don't have any control over what's happening tomorrow. This is why I believe firmly that if you owe somebody money, whether it's on a car note, whether it's, you know, you buy clothes on a store credit card or whatever, you your body knows you are not safe because your money's not yours. Your money's is Bank of America's. Your money is Toyota, you know, Finance Corporation. And you don't have autonomy. You can't just quit your job. Or if your wife gets sick, you still got to go work. You can't go with her to the hospital because you are chained to a, another corporation, right? And so you look at loneliness, you look at, um, disconnection, and you look at safety, and then that makes what's happening in our world right now super clear why everybody's so anxious. It's our bodies trying to get our attention that we're not okay. And so, man, I don't want people running to try to duct tape or take the batteries out of the alarm system. That's not helpful, man. You need to go out in the front yard and say, okay, what's on fire here? What What are the things that I can address? The alarms often will turn themselves off on their own. Um, Anxiety is a good thing. It keeps us safe. It protects us. Now, I avoided it for so long, for so many years. You know, we've all been in that bathroom in a hotel that uh, we steam up the shower and it sets off the, you know, the fire alarm too. Like your alarms can get screwed up and broken up and jacked up. That's happened to me. And so I had spent a season on medication. And what that did was it took the batteries out of the alarm so that I could hear a counselor, so I could hear my friends, so I could hear a doctor, so I could do the things that I needed to do to get well. Um, and it was just a small season. It was a short season. But, man, it made all the difference. And so some of us have dysfunctional alarms because we've ignored them for so long. But, that's man, that's all it is. That's just your body trying to take care of you. It just reframes the whole thing. Yeah, that was that was the most powerful thing is just being able to say, like, hey, read this book quick. You know, it's a short listen. But the anxiety that you're dealing with is pointing at things that you should you should deal with. And, and this is a professional right here that's saying, like, yes – Maybe, you know, maybe a prescription would help to let you control those things, but you, you got to be ready to control those things. We're not just going to numb it and live the rest of our life the way that we're living right now. That's exactly right. Absolutely. So you got to be willing the to new do the book. stuff and make some changes. Yeah. The new book. Yeah, man. Tell me how, tell me how you develop this, man. This is a, this is a, what a piece of work and these five simple yet not so simple steps that you developed like where did where did this come from talk me through it 
my my mom's been calling me a piece of work my whole life, man. So thank you for bringing that back up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Um, man, this <laughs> the man the book's ten years in the making. It's um, I to make a long story short, me and my wife we won. Right, I was got my fancy PhD and I was working at a fancy college with a fancy job title, and then I got asked to be a professor too, and then I got asked to be on a think tank too. So I was working three jobs making more money than my granddad could have ever known, wrapped his head around. Uh, I had a new little baby boy, and um, I was living in other people's trauma. So I was in hospitals several nights a week. I was always calling parents to tell them, hey, something bad happened to your kid, or dealing with HR issues at work, you know, having to let people go or deal with whatever drama. And I had done all of the quote-unquote things. I'd gotten the degrees, I'd gotten the money, I'd gotten the titles, and I was doing the fancy stuff that kept my adrenaline running, which I liked. Um, I was working out like crazy. I joined the MMA gym. I was doing all the stuff. And what happened in short order was my body started shutting me down. And I missed, I thought anxiety was telling me. I thought depression was, I thought those things were telling me, you just need to work harder, grind faster, do more things. That hollowness you feel inside, that's because you haven't achieved enough. It's because you're not running quite fast enough. And so then I quit sleeping and then I was living off Ambien and Diet Coke and I was drinking 11 gallons of coffee every morning and I was just on that cycle. And eventually I, man, found myself crawling around in my yard looking for cracks in my foundation. I mean, it was just, I just lost it, man. And here's the thing, it's important for people to know. You see on TV, you know, when one of the Kardashians gets sent to an institution for a weekend or something like that, right? That never happened to me. I still had a great job. I was still doing good at work. I was still, a, I wasn't a great dad, but I was fine. You know, I wouldn't cheat on my wife. I was, a, I was a somewhat okay husband, but I had fallen completely apart on the inside, right? And a lot of us can coast and ghost for a decade, for 20 years. That most men live lives of quiet desperation. That was me, man. I'd completely, I was ash on the inside, but I had a pretty solid outside, right? And uh, one day I was walking to work, man. I just turned around and got back in my car and I drove three hours away to see a buddy who's a medical doctor. And I just walked in his office and said, brother, I'm not okay. And that's the first time I'd ever said that out loud. And he'll tell you to this day, he gets goosebumps, man. Cause I used to walk in, I was a loud maniac, man. I always used to be like, ah, and I walked in his office and he was like, Deloney, what's up? And I said, Hey man, I need you to sit there, dude. I'm not okay. And he'll tell you, he'd never seen that look in my eye. And we sat down and that was my journey back. And so I ended up, uh, my wife and I took a $70,000 household income pay cut and I moved to a new city. We both did. And I uh, took a new job at a new university that was smaller and I had a smaller group of people to work with. And, uh, I went back to college and I got another PhD in counseling. I had to know what had just happened to me. You know, what happened to my community? My friends were starting to get divorced. Their parents were dying. Suicide. My students were melting. I just said, well, something's not right in the water here. And um, then I started really researching those in our communities that had, quote unquote, made it, you know, doctors and lawyers and big, giant, fancy pants preachers and college presidents. And then I got into dealing with lawyer mental health and first responder mental health. And man, the further down the rabbit hole I went, the further it was like, oh, man, we have built a system that's <laughs> does the emperor doesn't have any clothes on here, man. All of the things we've been told that is the good life isn't really how it pans out, man. So the, here's the thing I hate with all of my guts. If you stay up too late, you know, you'll find the infomercials and they're like 17 steps to the, like a, you know, a firmer butt or what I, I do. I hate that stuff, man. It's so reductive. It's lame. Um, so these five steps aren't like this, my, my new secret hack towards a good life. These five steps are really a set of principles that you put in your back pocket and you put in your, in your chest pocket next to your heart. And they are thousands of years old, man. I didn't come up with any of this stuff. It was kind of just an archeological dig. Um, these five things are going to circle in your life over and over and over. Cause the second you think you've got things together, you're going to get a call that your mom's got cancer. And the second she gets cleared on that, then some country is going to invade some other country. And then now we're off to the races, right? So this is going to happen the rest of our lives. What are, the, what are some things we can do to create a firm foundation, to put clothes on the emperor so when, not if, but when life throws its stuff at us, that we've got a team around us and we've got a firm foundation to, to absorb it and handle it and grow and get better from it? 
yeah, the thousand years old idea is I, I have it written down. Like philosophy seems to be timeless, right? Like men, men, human people are dealing with so many of the same problems now that they were in, you know, the stoic philosophers days. And, you know, sto- stoicism has this, this tenet of being able to enjoy luxury without being emotionally tied to it or negatively emotionally affected when you don't have it. And like, I have that written down as it, you know, that idea is, is in your book, you know, what is it? 4,000 years later, 3,000 years later, and we're still dealing with the same issues. We're dealing with people who are emotionally tying themselves to outcomes and outcomes that they have nothing to do with. They have no control over. Yeah. Or they're tying themselves to a thousand other people's opinions, or they're tying themselves to you know, that, what's that old fight club saying? You know, they're buying crap that they can't afford to impress people they don't even like. You know what I mean? That, that's the world we're in right now. And um, it, it's, a, it's a messy place. Um, and I'll tell you this, and I'm going to sound crazy given in light of what's going on in the world right now. Dude, I'm super optimistic. Um, there is a refining process happening. But, um, man, when you see courage on display, when you see bravery in real life, it really puts into perspective all the whining I do on a daily basis, right? Um, when I see courage and bravery in real life, it makes me think, all right, I can, you know, yesterday morning, it sounds so ridiculous. I feel embarrassed even saying it. I was going to skip my workout, my Monday morning workout, which is my, that's my no-no, dude. You don't skip Mondays, you don't skip Fridays. No matter what, you got to get those two days in. And uh, I was going to skip it and I thought, there is a, Ukrainian father of four right now, who may never see his kids again, you can get your butt up and go do some deadlifts, man. Go. You know what I mean? And I was like, I mean, I was like, yeah, you're probably right. And so it's a good reframe for me. Um, there are 10,000 police officers in the United States putting on bulletproof vests to go deal with, you know, 1016s to go deal with domestics all day. You can get up and go in your air conditioned little garage gym and, you know, do some bench press get off your butt, man. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's a moment that's happening for all of us. that's refining. And I, and I think it's, I think it's good. It's ugly on the, in the, in the way in the meantime, but um, I think it's good where we're headed. Yeah. We covered yeah, that I a think lot. It's, like, uh, oh, you know, we talked about it last week's so our podcast is gratitude. Oh man. You know, even when, when things are at the worst and I know, you know, your background as a Christian, I'm a Christian as well. And uh, I talked last week, I, I do a lot of praying. So, you know, I use the Acts principle, you know, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Mm. But man, by the time I get through uh, three or four, you know, things I'm thankful for, all of a sudden, man, you're, there's not a whole lot, to, you know, of supplication or requests that I go through. And uh, life seems to be, hey, you know, I'm still six feet above ground. And uh, man, I got so many things that, I remember, yeah, being in other countries, uh, man, they don't have a fraction of what we got, and it just resets you completely. Yeah, that's, exa- that's exactly right. Gratitude is, uh, yeah, that's. I should have mentioned that earlier. That's that's a daily thing that I don't ever miss. That's an important part of every day. I, I got to ask you. Uh, well, it's. I don't know anything about this hate for CrossFit memes. <laughs> That's part of my notes. Oh, what is man. That? Dude, I don't have any hate for it. I, I, man, <laughs> I got buddies all over the country. I l- love CrossFit, all into it. I love um, poking at... Man, there's a fine line between a a tribe and a gang and a cult. And I, I like sitting on that line and just lobbing grenades, man. So to my <laughs> brothers and sisters who like... Hey, bro, I got to go to the box today. Like, Number one, it's like, let's just take about 30% off everybody. And two, at least somebody in our neighborhoods are working out, right? So, man, if you find a tribe that you can go work out with, I'm a 1,000% in. And I'm going to poke a little fun at you, man. It's all good. Yeah, I went back I went back early in the I think by I and large. early in the podcasts. And pulled some of the old, dude, yeah, you, you I, were tearing I, I, into some good CrossFit memes. <laughs> I I think by and large, the the best things the internet have brought us, uh, 
I think Venmo is pretty cool. And um, I think memes. Other than that, I think the internet's been a, mostly a bust, but those two things are pretty cool. I'll give you. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> um, had to ask. No, it's good, man. It's good. I love in the new book. Um, Truth your is, annotations. I couldn't hang in a CrossFit gym. That's it. Oh, <laughs> there you yeah. go. No, so your annotations. I really, I, I like how you do that because it kind of adds, it adds some sources, but it also adds some personality to a lot of the information in here. Like, you know, I, I've I, this is the first book that I've gotten into that had those annotations, other than um, the one of the Marcus Aurelius meditations copies, where it goes through and, and annotates uh, a lot of Marcus's ideas. Um, but kudos on putting that in here. No, I appreciate that. I think it's, um, man, this has been a the the most eye opening thing since joining Ramsey's team is I've worked in colleges my whole career, man, and I've been around some of the smartest biggest hearts um on planet earth folks that are brilliant 10x that i could ever hope to be and they're trying to solve big problems in the world but what i found is that we have talked past people we've talked over people talking about our theories and things that we can you know what if this happened and then that happened a lot of what ifs and what and could be's and and then man i came here to ramsey and i realized there's a single mom with three kids who's just trying to figure out how to get through the day and she thinks if somebody's a doctor that they think they're better than her or that they can't understand. You know what I mean? So a lot of this stuff, man, it's just inside jokes and stuff I thought was funny or like there's that when I'm explaining that multi, that, that fatality, that, that, you know, the multi casualty wreck that I was a part of, man, when you get five or six or seven different EMS jurisdictions and police jurisdictions in the rural counties of Texas, man, the fog of that situation is chaos. And because uh, the goal, number one, is just keep people alive. And so trying to tell a dad, I don't know where your kid is, and I don't even know if your kid's alive. Those are brutal conversations, but that's the reality of those events, right? And I'll call you back and, hey, I think your kid's dead. And you call him back and go, no, 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 no your kid's alive. Man, that's real. And so explaining some of that in the annotations, I want to provide context for folks. And then, man, some of the content in that book's just heavy, man. It's just, it's heavy. And so having some jokes here and there, that's, you know, if, if, you know, if you've ever been with police officers, man, they've got some of the best, the gnarliest, best senses of humor in the darkest moments, man. You have to, right? You got to, it's protective, right? You got to. And um, yep. so I wanted some of that to come through too, man. If you don't make a joke, the only thing you can do is curl up and cry. So um, sometimes jokes heal me at least. So thank you for, no, thank you for catching that. So a large portion of the audience, um, are made up of first responders, police and, and, and veterans and active duty that we talk about a lot. And I, I know with the anxiety fire alarm, um, we kind of talk about dealing with the things that are causing the anxiety, but for a lot of these people, uh, that's every day that, that is, that is their everyday reality. And it's not something they necessarily can deal with, whether it's, you know, shift workers that have no ability to switch to another shift right now, you know, or the stress of the job what as a counselor can you give these guys and women, ladies and gentlemen, I guess, um, to help them deal with that? Cause we've made a lot of suggestions through a lot of our podcasts, but you're a professional. <laughs> Dude, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a fake professional. I'm just a radio guy now. So it's good. Um, here, here's, here's some things I've seen be effective over the years. Um, I carry with me. I've got it. Look, I've got my big fancy, rucksack backpack right um inside there is a journal that i carry with me and it's a small black journal that i carry and dude i wish i could come up with some hardcore name for it i'm gonna try to figure that out i'm gonna send it up to the creative guys to get some like yeah bro uh name for it but it's my stories journal and here's all it is i write down the moments when i'm doing something and i think dude you suck at being a dad i write that down and number one i get it out of my head there's some phenomenal research by a guy named Ethan Cross at the University of Michigan that talks about that voice in our head that stays on a loop 24-7, 365. And when that voice starts talking about I and me and we, it actually can activate your fight or flight system. So if we start thinking like we're under attack, they hate us. Um, my boss hates me. He's screwing me. She won't let me have this shift. It literally fires up the system that's designed to fight the bear at the front of our cave that's thousands of years old. 
And so I want to get that crap out of my head and out of my body and onto a piece of paper where I can be, I can be objective about it. Because listen, once that fight or flight system kicks in, our objective thinking is over. You fall back on training and our brain has an awesome system that, that trades speed for accuracy. That's how a kid with a cell phone could end up getting shot because our brain says, that's close enough to a gun. I'm going home. Let's, let's engage, right? And so it trades speed for accuracy. And when you're an armchair quarterback going, I can't believe that happened. Well, you weren't walking down an alley, right, with the intel that you had, right? And your whole body was engaged, right? So I'm going to get that stuff out of my head. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to be hyper-intentional about demanding evidence from that. Is it true? Are you really a sucky dad? No, that's not accurate. Could I be more present and get off my cell phone? Absolutely. Can I eat better and take care better care of my body because I'm 40 pounds overweight and I snore all night? Absolutely. Right. So what are some things that I can do? I'm going to demand evidence from that. But I'm getting number one, I'm getting it out of my body. Number two, this is uh, probably the most powerful exercise. Both of you guys, real quick, close your eyes. All right, and I want you to um, picture in your head a purple elephant. You got it? All right, now picture a little yellow hat on top of that elephant. Got it? All right, open your eyes. You just proved to yourself that you can control your thoughts, right? And so when that lightning bolt pops into your head, I think my wife's cheating on me. That's the moment when you can either meditate on that thought, you can make yourself crazy because you're stuck in shift work for the next eight hours, for, you know what I mean? And it's 4 a.m. and there's nothing, you can, you're not going to go wake her up and start a fight. You can either meditate on that or in my house, I'll be walking through the living room and I'll just go, nope. And my wife will laugh because she knows what I'm doing. That's me talking to myself. I'm not having this conversation with myself today. I'm going to take my thoughts back. And so this, they, this, that exercise is from David Kessler, who's the master on grief, but he talks a lot about parents who lose a child. Um, and this is great for first responders who deal with a gnarly situation. You roll up on a scene and there's a 1087, but it's a two-year-old, right? Or a five-year-old in a car wreck. Those things haunt me, right? Those things haunt us. When that thought pops into our head, I can continue to dwell on that. Think about how hard mom and dad was crying. I can remember how hard that hug was from a, you know, from a mother and you can't breathe how hard that hug is. We've all had that. Um, you can think about that or I can have another thought ready to go. And I'm going to think about my kid on her big wheel. I'm going to go to gratitude practice. Like you talked about, Martin, I'm going to interrupt that thought pattern. And what will happen in short order is your brain will slowly inch its way to reset its default setting to Thoughts of things you can actually control. Thoughts of things that lean towards optimism that don't live in this cesspool of pessimism. That's number two. And then the third one is, is brutal for first responders is doing whatever you can, however you can to prioritize sleep. And man, that's really tough for shift workers. It's really tough for second and third shifts, especially. But man, there is no none, zero. There is no psychological disorder that does not involve disrupted sleep. So if you will prioritize sleep and whatever that looks like for you um, and not, not, not doubling down on Ambien or Lunesta or any of that trash, um, those are hypnotics. That's, you're not actually asleep. You're just unconscious. Um, but really focus, doing what you have to do, whether you got to see a doctor, see a therapist, whatever, really double down on getting good sleep. That has a restorative effect on our bodies and it keeps our alarm system working accurately, right? Um, and then go to training, man. Show up, do cool things, do things that aren't involving police work, laugh some, be with your friends, get back to that human connection stuff, control what you can control and put the other stuff down. Don't get off shift and then spend the next 12 hours on Fox news, man. You're going to make yourself insane. Don't have, if you're, if you're a shift worker, don't, uh, don't have Twitter because Twitter's designed to make your alarm stay ringing all day, every day. Get off that crap, right? Mow your yard, engage with your neighborhood, throw a football with your buddy down the street. Do something, right? Um, but get out and get active. And it has a way of leveling our body so that, and here's the important thing, so that you can go back in and fully be present for your communities because we need you big time. I don't want to raise my kids in a world without police officers, without EMS, without firefighters, without military. You got to, I mean, look, it's cool to theorize. Look what's happening overseas. There is bad people in the world. And I want a trained, healthy 
honest group of people out there on the front protecting me and my community, man. So do those things so that, not don't run away from the job, but so that you can be fully present in that job. And then, man, when you take that badge off, when you take that bulletproof vest on, exhale, and then go about being a human being again. Awesome. Thank you. Like that, that's huge. I, that's probably, that's going to be one of the biggest takeaways from this podcast for our audience. Um, I have two awesome quotes from the book that I'm, I'm making these memes after we're done with this and you're going to see them all over. They're going to blow up. Um, the first one is the tech that was supposed to free our schedule ended up taking our souls. I love that one. Yeah. And then, uh, you can't edit sentences that have periods. That, that to me is the, you know, it's cool to jump on the tech bandwagon. It was supposed to save us. It just made us all busier and crazier, and um, it's made everything more complicated. Um, this idea that um, the tech was going to save us was big. What was that other quote? The second uh, one? You can't, edit, you can't edit the sentences that have periods. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that, man, how many of us live our lives – thinking I shouldn't have, I can't believe I did. If they had only, we live our lives backwards and we spend so long with our pen, right? Trying to go back and edit these sentences that have it's already happened. And if you're a police officer, man, you didn't get there fast enough with CPR and that person died. It happened. Or you missed a report and you ended up on the witness stand. You got embarrassed by the other person's lawyer and they got off. Those things happened with a period. And you can beat yourself up, you can stay haunted by them, or you can do the hard work of writing new sentences. What comes next? Because in reality, that's all you can control, period. Um, you're abused as a kid. People treated you differently because of your skin color. All that stuff happens, and it sucks, and it's real. Or, man, um, over the last few years, like I've got, you know, I, I got loads of police officers in my life. I've got my dad. The images I've seen of cops, of dirty cops doing dirty stuff across the country, it's been sickening. And what the world didn't know that the people most sickened by that was also other police officers, right? Um, so here's the thing. I can't do a thing about that. What I can do is make sure tomorrow looks different for me and my team, right? That my, t my unit is trained well, that my unit knows if you see that kind of nonsense, you report it. I can only move this way, right? And we spend so much stewing and stewing and stewing. How many of us have conversations with people in our heads that we will never have in real life? Never. We will never. What a waste of energy and time. It's so, if I was, if I was sitting down with President Biden, you know what I'd tell him? Nothing, because you'll never sit down with him. Don't even have that conversation. Why waste your life with that conversation, right? Or, uh, I'm just going to tell my wife, I'm just going to tell her that you'll never do that. So don't, don't. Don't have these fantasy fights in your head. Instead, use your thoughts to put your, to propel you towards positive things. Instead of, I'm going to tell my wife. How about say, I need to let my wife know that I'm not okay. I need to let her know that I haven't been pulling my weight around here. I feel disconnected. Um, can we? Can I take her to breakfast and for a couple hours on a Saturday morning when I'm off shift? And let's talk about the state of our marriage and what we can do to get closer together again. Cause I know I've been an idiot and she's, <laughs> she's not really winning the game either, but I'm only going to talk about me at that lunch at that breakfast. Cause that's all I can control. What if you did that, right? What a pr more productive way of spending your thought energy and your time. And by the way, all of our thoughts have a chemical response, man, all those negative thoughts, all that anger, all that rage, dude, we're dying younger from that nonsense. We're giving ourselves strokes and heart attacks and liver disease. Why? Why do that to ourselves, man? Um, we're worth more than that. We are worth more than that. Now you're going to get me all we're fired up, up, man. I know, right? We're coming up on an hour, and I want to get one more question out here because, I mean, we spent an entire hour-long podcast on the on what our uh, definition of success is. Um, but if we have friends or loved ones who are chasing kind of that faulty definition of success, is there anything we can do to try to wake them up and to see that chasing success isn't necessarily what, what is going to give them a good life? Chasing that wellness is going to give them a good life. What I have found in my life is, um, talking does about nothing. Talking is useless. The greatest gift I can give to my friends and community is a, is a model, a picture of what well-living looks like. 
And sometimes they're interested in the first 24 hours, and sometimes it's a decade and their marriage is on fire and one of their kids is doing drugs and they don't know where their other kid is. And then they circle back and say, I need help. I had that conversation this weekend. And God help me, I'm not perfect by a thousand miles, but one of my oldest friends on planet Earth said, hey, I'm not okay, I need help, right? Um, And so you play, like my job, my goal isn't, I can't live your life for you. I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm going to let you know that when things go sideways for you, if you're chasing success, um, when it goes sideways, which it will, I'll show up at 2 a.m. I'll be there for you. And those to me are the shapeshifter moments. I can give people these big eloquent speeches. They go one ear out the other, right? Um, I think showing up and being a good model is the key there. That's that's a perfect point. I, I didn't even think of that as an option when I was writing that question. Last one. So you remember I think a few we talk years ago, too much and, and we live not well yeah. enough. Remember a few years ago, Hawaii had that, like somebody accidentally sent out the emergency alert in uh, to the cell phones and like popped up on everybody's cell phone in Hawaii. Like that was huge. If you had the ability to send <laughs> yeah. out one of those emergency alerts to everyone in the United States, what would it say? Oh, man. That's a phenomenal question. Everyone in the United States, man. Uh, <laughs> Here's what it would be. Effective immediately. Stop complaining. Stop whining. Stop pointing fingers and be the change you want to see in your communities. Full stop. That's so awesome. Wait. That's that's perfect. People on the right, people on people on the right, people on the left, people in the middle. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Start loving your communities. Get off your butts and start serving people, right? And of course, this isn't to the first responders. Although, man, my first responder friends, like, let's just call a spade a spade. We're great at complaining and whining about things. If I was chief, I would I'd I'd go to four tens, bro. Or I'd go to like three twelves. I don't like have I, I man, I've been there too. Um, all of us. Just knowing that complaining does absolutely stone nothing. Um, what does is overtipping in a restaurant, mowing your neighbor's yard, shoveling somebody's driveway. If you got to march, rally your friends up and y'all do a peaceful protest and march. If you got to pay your debts off, get a third job, whatever. Like, get about being the change you want to see. You want to fix the economy? Stop buying crap you can't afford. You want to, uh, you know, fix the homeless problem? Start giving. Start connecting, right? Don't buy that new Xbox. Give that money away, right? Start helping your neighbors in your community at the local level. And some of this national stuff will take care of itself, man. Great point. Awesome. Thanks, John. Awesome. I'm so grateful for you to be here. Why don't you tell everybody where they can get the book and where they can find you online? Uh, you can buy the book now. It's in pre-order. Um, man, the pre-order comes with, uh, and my friends at BetterHelp, they're incredible. They stepped up. My fear was people were going to close this book and say, okay, I'm ready to go get help. And then they were going to get the courage to call a counselor. And it's like, all right, cool. That's a six-month waiting list. And so BetterHelp stepped up with a free month of counseling if you pre-order the book now and it's available within 24 hours that's their guarantee and that can be digital that can be on your phone or laptop you can even have counseling you don't have to look at people which is all i can't believe they stepped up it's a big 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 give giveaway for a 20 dollars book um it comes with the audio book and all the other kind of ebook all that kind of stuff um they can go to uh johndeloney.com or ramseysolutions.com and pre-order it today and then the book actually hits the streets like in the stores and stuff in uh, mid-april Awesome. How about your social media? Uh, it's just at John Deloney. Dude, I'm not great at it, man. I'm still figuring out. I never had social media ever before I took this job, man. So it's it's like a clown show, but we're, I'm having fun with it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I recently had to upgrade phones because I broke the screen on my old phone. And I left all my social media, even the business social media, I left on my old phone. And holy freeing is that wow like you come home and you're like oh i've got to do some posts and i've got to catch up with people and i've got to respond to some messages but man you're not like picking it up all day i pick up my phone my my real phone that i use all day and i look at it and i'm like oh there's not really anything i need to do on here let me put it back in my pocket (laughs) 
That's hey, so I'll show you. Yeah. If people want to know how I stay well. This is it right here. This one's got social media on it, and that's it. And this one goes in the bag. And this is the one that lets me know if I'm in trouble with oh, my wow. boss or something. So that's the only I, I here's the thing. I can't beat them at that game, social media game. They've hacked our heads. They're better than that at we are, right? This is we're in a, a firefight and you realize that they have air superiority now. So I gotta I gotta change tactics, man. I can't keep flying my kite around the neighborhood. If they've got F-16s, I gotta do something different. And so I'm gonna put it in another phone. I'm gonna put it in a drawer because it's, it's an unfortunate part of business, but it is what it is. I can't compete with them, and so that's I, that's the only way. I don't have the discipline to compete with them. So I've got to I've got to take my own my own drastic measures there. Awesome, thank you. You got anything wow. else you want to tell the audience, John? It's crazy. Thank you. No, just just a um, I love you. And for all the noise and all the nonsense, um, I am in the vast, vast, vast majority of this country, despite the rhetoric, despite the nonsense, despite what idiotic newscasters are saying so they can get clicks on their stupid shows. Um, I love you. My family loves you. This country loves you. And um, I am confident, overly confident, that our best day is ahead of us. And I think some communities are seeing what happens when you – um, try to do without police and it's going to be a season of blessing coming on um, the first responders here in the coming years so I'm grateful for you man alright thank you that's a wrap <laughs> <laughs>